Welcome to Bubbles and Books, a podcast about two of the best things in life, books and champagne, brought to you by Amanda and Ellen, co-owners of your local independent bookstore, Dog-Eared Books in Ames, Iowa. First, give me a cheers. Okay, we're ready. And books are sexy. Welcome to Bubbles and Books. It's another week of champagne and books. Ellen, what are you reading this week? <laughs> right now. So actually, I, re- I read a book since the last time we talked, and I finished it, so I'm not currently reading it, but I want to talk about it. All right, so I read Lucky Red by Claudia Cravens, which was for book club this week, and Rachel attended. Um, it was so good. It's a Western. Um, this is Claudia Cravens' debut novel, and it's about 16-year-old Bridget, who grows up in Arkansas, um, her mother died in childbirth, much like Emily. No, well, uh, Arkansas is Emily, not the mother died in childbirth. Sorry. Um, <laughs> much like Emily, she grew up in Arkansas. Unlike Emily, her mother died in childbirth and she was raised by her father, who's a drunk. And, you know, he's relatively harmless, but he just doesn't have his shit together. And she has to do, she's taking care of him. Her father is not taking care of her. And, Um, When she's 16, he like sells their home and buys a plot of land in in Kansas or something. And so they leave Arkansas and on the way, this is not a spoiler because it happens early on in the book. um, He dies of a rattlesnake bite. Sounds like that's a good plot twist. And she's on her own and she makes her way to Dodge City and she becomes a whore. And, um... She falls in love. She falls in love with, um, we don't know if she is an outlaw or a hero, but she's like a gunslinging, um, badass Western chick, Spartan Lee. So Bridget and Spartan um, fall in love and all kinds of hijinks ensue. So it is a lesbian (laughs) Western story and it is a whole lot of fun and it lives in it should be in historical fiction, fiction probably i would say thank you for and that I, what i what, what i like about it too is that like in this in this book the women are really the heroes and their um profession is not written about in any kind of condescending way these are women who have taken who have used their agency, taken control of their lives um, and their own money, and they are not going to live um, like as somebody's wife or daughter beholden to them. They are taking control of their own destinies and they are written as such, which is really cool. What are you reading? I'm also reading Bruges by Mona Awad, and it's really good. <laughs> I'm reading Hot Swings Drive. It was sent to me by a mentor and friend in the industry the co-owner of Exile and Bookville in Chicago, Illinois, um, Javier Ramirez. He, he, I can't figure him out. He has so much energy and enthusiasm. He's on top of everything. He reads every trade publication. He's at every um, trade event. He reads a million books. He runs a million events. I don't know how he does it. I think he might have access to some kind of special drug or something, but like he's really special (laughs) and he has really great taste in books. Um, But he sent me this book uh, with this amazing like note that had been composed on a typewriter, it looked like. It had really cool typeface and it was sealed with a special sticker from Exile and Bookville. And it was (laughs) 
all about how this is the best book he's read in years. Um, and he's already read it twice. You know, booksellers, do we have time to read many things twice? No. no. Um, so he really wanted me to read it. And just like if one of our booksellers on staff raved and raved and raved about something, I would pick it up because it was an experience that somebody I cared about wanted me to have. So I'm reading it. Um, it's inspired by a tr true life murder. Um, suburban housewives who were best friends. Um, one of them kind of went off the rails in her weight loss journey, her identity journey. Um, and ended up sleeping with the other woman's husband. Oh, and one of the children of the woman who had been seducing or engaging in sexual acts with the other woman's husband, her son ends up murdering the wife of the woman who'd been cheated on. Uh -huh. Very complicated to describe. Um, but it was told from multiple perspectives. It has this kind of like true crime allure, the murder allure, but... The, you, the author uses that as an opportunity to comment on all the ways in which we lose ourselves, all the ways in which interpersonal relationships fail us and shape us. So it's kind of like all the ways you can be fucked up in a very beautiful way. So um, I'm, it, it was, it's called compulsive and addictive. I do find that I'm drawn into the story. I do find that there are many truths in this story. I am a person who looks for hope. I haven't found it yet in this book. <laughs> um, but I don't necessarily think that that discounts this book because sure. I think it does reflect. I mean, some of, some, some of the best books are the Everything Sucks books. It's an Everything Sucks So Far book. Um, so that's where I'm at with what I'm reading right now. Awesome. Thank you, Javier. Love you. We're drinking Imar, which is a natural sparkling wine. This is very exciting. The natural sparkling wines like don't have so anything exciting. added to them. And it came from Spain. That's so exciting. I have nothing added to me today. Barcelona. I'm wearing no makeup. You have nothing to add? I have nothing added on me today except oh. for clothing. Like I don't have any makeup on or like anything neither, like that. But we're au natural pretty regularly. <laughs> we don't fancy That's true. Up. We don't gussy up. Every time I put on makeup and then I put on eyeliner, like I can't, I get it like thicker on one side. So then I got to like make it thicker on the other side. And it's just always a nightmare. Yeah. I can't handle it. You are a nightmare. <laughs> I am. Okay. Brace yourselves. Last night at book club, I popped one and spilled, but. That champagne had ridden in my car. Ooh. Oh, that was just a very Ooh. little petite. Pop. I've said this before, but someone the saying goes, and it's so obnoxious. It's supposed to sound like a nun's fart. <laughs> what, what, why same? is a nun's fart different from like a, I know? I think they rip say it. a priest fart or yeah, you know, any other right. profession professional farters speaking of professional <laughs> this is such a professional work environment we are inviting onto the podcast this week two of our favorite people um emily our events manager who you've heard from before and for the first time ever is this really the first time yeah but she will be a frequent participant she made a cameo 
Oh, yeah. I did pop on. Yeah, I was walking by. And I got <laughs> at, so I didn't know if that counted. <laughs> you always count. Uh, Bailey. Bailey is bookseller, longtime bookseller, who we thankfully brought back from Idaho. We were really sad. She moved to Idaho for a year because she got a master in fine arts. She's very, very talented in many, many areas. But the reason we brought these two on is because they're fans of our new sections in the store. We have new sections in the store, people. It's very exciting. Yeah, it's like a magic trick. We had a magic wand and like we created space. I bet if you're listening to this right now, your adrenaline just went way up. Whoa. You were like, shit, new sections. Whoa, I have to go to the store. I'm so excited. Okay, so the reality of being a bookstore in today's working model is that you're not ginormous. So we don't have the luxury of space and we're always inventing new ways to display books and we're always wanting more room for more sections. And it was niggling at us. So we worked with a local carpenter and we built another bookcase. Well, the carpenter did. We did not participate. (laughs) In in our minds, we built it and he actually did it. Yes. And it's in. It came to the store, and we immediately had a little bit of fun. But we wanted the new bookcase because we wanted to provide more offerings for our customers, um, and we just want more books. We always want more books. So we expanded some sections. We have some new sections, and Emily and Bailey are gonna talk to us about some of our new special sections. Okay, so let's start with one of the sections we were most excited to create was the retelling section, which is, I mean, Emily's just having a little party. I dance around every time I see it in the store now. It's so beautiful and so full of hope. Do you skip around the case? Because you could do like a full skipping circle around it. I skip around it. I do the Macarena around oh, it. Sometimes you could get you one of those wheel. ribbons. You could ribbon dance <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It. I think I'll need two ribbons for that. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, done. It would be more like a summoning. You know, you're doing a dance around a fire. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's as, that is what I'm picturing. Okay, so the true story of how the bookshelf got into the store. There wasn't really a summoned it. Oh my god, you went there after dark and you like did a whole ritual. Yeah, yeah. We actually moved it out so that the carpenter guy could move it in. (laughs) Um, Just so you felt. What did you you sacrifice? It's confidential. (laughs) Okay, fair. It was organic. I'll tell you that. Ooh, hey. Hey, I think that's, that's good. I would be very upset too. if you sacrificed something that was unorganic. <laughs> <laughs> that would just be crossing a line. Right? Yeah, the demons agree. They're like, <laughs> how dare you cheat us with your fake crap? We so had trouble. Involved. Oops. So the new section that we are talking about yeah. that Emily summoned is um, mythology, folklore, fairy tale. And classic. And classic retellings. retellings. So... These lived everywhere in our store. That's one of the reasons why we most wanted to create this section is because we would look at a book and we'd be like, does this live in fantasy section or does this belong in fiction? Madeline Miller, Song of Achilles, Galatea. Um, what's her other one? A Thousand Ships is different author, but. Yeah, they lived in fiction. Yeah. And well, then over in fantasy, we had retellings like Kaiki. What's that? Stone Blind. Stone Blind. 
for some reason we couldn't we couldn't figure out what to do with them because weird stuff happens in myths. Weird stuff happens in fairy tales. And so these books lived all over the place and they have a huge following people like Madeline Miller. Does it does anyone want to disagree with me? Did she kind of like start this subgenre? I feel like she or did. did or did she I don't think she started it, but she maybe it took off and yeah. became more popular under yeah, because with with the release of I think her people books. started taking it more seriously after Madeline Miller, uh-huh. and also she kind of kicked off. She wasn't the first person by far to do a retelling of a Greek myth, not even from a feminist perspective, because the Penelope ad by Margaret Atwood. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's been around for a while. Yeah, um, but something about it was like just like a strike of lightning. She just. Put it out there and then everybody wanted to tell those stories. Right. So. She made it so lucrative that it then well, and there, was, and there was an appetite for it. There was an appetite that for moment. it. People yeah. love it. And there still is. So, um, Emily, you are a writer of retellings and a reader of retellings. Tell us your thoughts about this genre, this section. What were you summoning with your ribbons and your organic <laughs> material? So first things first, they're fun, right? You get to step into another world with characters that you know a little bit of about, so you don't have to do as much setup. But then you get to take something old and make it something new, which adds a lot of energy to that old thing. Um, from a writerly perspective and sort of thinking about authors like Madeline Miller who do it because they have something to say with that retelling, I think it's a really cool opportunity to reflect on our past um for example i was writing about the trojan war at one point and the reason i wanted to do that is that we talk about the greek and roman world like it was a pinnacle of civilization i'm like they had slaves women were not treated well in rome women had some power to move around but in greece women were associated with darkness because they weren't allowed (laughs) to go outside (laughs) like (laughs) somebody needs to say like No, it wasn't a pinnacle of civilization. It was a civilization with good things and bad things. And if we put it on this pedestal, we're deluding ourselves and we're also idolizing something that actually doesn't serve most people. And that's not what we want to be, right? We want to be a world that is serving everyone. And so retellings give us that space to illuminate the truth in a really fun way. I think it's a really cool access point too to younger generations of readers who don't want to take on the original Greek myths. feel They feel that the form is daunting um, and it's a way to explore the story and to learn about the characters and the figures um, in a way that's very entertaining. Yeah, accessible. It, very accessible. I am curious who some who some of your favorite authors are that will be in this section, as well as some of your favorite titles. For me, you've already mentioned one that I love, um, which is Natalie Haynes, who wrote A Thousand Ships. Love that book so much. Her newest one is Stone Blind. Yeah, and that one's really good as well. Right, and that's telling the story of... Medusa. Yes, and the cover is killer. Uh, A Thousand Ships is about the... Trojan War. It's telling that story from the perspective of the slave women and the Trojans. Uh So it's sort of taking some of the plays. So Mm -hmm. the Iliad is like the epic poem that tells the Trojan War largely but not totally from the side of the Achaeans. 
But then some playwrights took that material and wrote plays about the Trojan women. So mm-hmm. Natalie Haynes is really drawing from that. That's so cool. Thank you. Such expert explanations. Who do you love in this section and what are you excited to share with our readers? I love Bailey's definitely going to shoot me a look because I'm stealing one of her authors from okay. horror. But I love T. Kingfisher. Mm-hmm. I recently did up a writer's lab lesson on T. Kingfisher because the approach to retelling is so unique. By the time T. Kingfisher is done with an original story, it's something totally different that feels way more personal and fresh and original than this old story you've been working with for a long time. So like mm-hmm. Thornhedge takes Sleeping Beauty and the main character is the witch, but the witch is actually just a toad fairy who's not very good <laughs> at things. And it's so endearing mm-hmm. and it just totally flips the story, but in a way that doesn't feel forced or like edgy, I'm flipping the story. That's just something new, which is great. I think that will be like the niggling thorn in our side on staff will be like, why is this author's work split up? Someone else that we split up their work. <laughs> but hey, guess what? They are writing across genres. It's their own choice. I kind of want to read it because I often feel like a little toad witch. Oh, yeah, you should. Right? Don't yeah. we all feel like a little I, toad witch? I, I, we should embrace toad witch. That should be the new gnome. Amy hates gnomes. Let's all be toad witches. I'm for it. Amy hates gnomes? Why? We don't know. The only problem is that Mariah hates frogs. So we'll Uh-oh. be torturing her. Well, these are toads, Did you know in The frogs. Sims, if you, like, gnomes can, like, leave money around and simoleons around your apartment if you live in the city? I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, that's because you're not cool. <laughs> um, TJ Klune also got split up. Yes, yes. In because. The puppets is in retelling. That's because, a Pinocchio story. Yes. And because, sorry. Uh-huh. No. That's yep. what I was going to say. It's Pinocchio. Yeah. So you were excited about classical retellings. And we were like, oh, I don't know if we're going to let you move classical retellings. <gasps> I was just imagining like Pride and Prejudice, like 20 different versions having yes. you move. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if we have any that we've moved over. Currently. Well, let me let me justify this. So okay. I've already talked about how it's a really great way to be in conversation with people from the past or our own thinking about the past. Another amazing thing about retellings is that if you're a nerd like me, and when you finish a book, you feel a sense of loneliness, and you're like, why did it end? Why will I never (laughs) see that character again? I hear you. Right? Like, the retellings are an opportunity to expand that world for yourself. I gotcha. I love the the reimaginings, retellings, expansion stories of Anna Green Gables. Yes! (laughs) Because it's a way to be with Anne, but then Anne gets to have a life outside of the original, and she gets to be a lot of different Anne's, and... That's beautiful. I know. That was genius. That's the joy of fan fiction. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I guess we've been outed here. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Let's see. Another White Sargasso Sea and Jane Eyre. It's a great example of that. The crazy lady in the attic, Mr. Rochester's first wife, um, gets her own book in White Sargasso Sea. And things that were just totally ignored in Jane Eyre, like a history of colonialism and why did he lock her in the attic? Like, is that really okay? <laughs> that book is he like, just, no. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, she's locked in the attic. <laughs> and you're bringing um, in a author that we haven't carried before who you think does a really great job with classical retellings, right? Yes. Okay. Or fairy tale retellings as well. Classical and fairy tale, maybe. Yeah, a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually really excited that Bailey's here because I think you'll like this author. Um, her name is Christina Henry, and she also does horror. So it's kind of a theme here that a lot of really great people who write retellings also write horror. 
But she has done retellings of Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan, which is, that is a haunting one. They're all haunting, actually. Um, Little Red Riding Hood, that's a girl with a prosthetic leg in an apocalypse trying to get to her grandmother's house to survive. That's like every nightmare I ever have. It's like, it's the end of the world and I'm trying to get somewhere. Well, then don't read that book because you'll have nightmares. Okay. Um, but yeah, lots of great things like that. And I'm just going to list a few names really quick that I want people to know about. Naomi Novik has a Rumpelstiltskin retelling that's just stellar and made me cry. Um, now I'm blanking now that I said I'm going to list a lot. Well, but... one of our favorites is Genevieve Gornacek, former oh, yes. bookseller. Um, she works with Norse retellings. Mm-hmm. And mythology, too. Uh-huh. Yeah. She's so cool. Um, so now Bailey. Bailey, you actually are the original section expansion um, perpetrator in that you <laughs> love you love horror and our readers love horror. So we were like curating just like a collection of say like 12. Didn't it start out as kind of like an end cap display? And people kept buying the horror. If we featured the horror, they loved the horror. The horror books were selling so well. And we were paying attention to kind of um, book selling trends. And like there is a huge readership in horror. I'm not a horror reader. And that's why I'm so grateful for you. We made you a horror section. Tell us first about horror section and then about the new Bailey section. Okay, so I love the horror section so much, and nothing brings me more joy than when a customer is looking for a book that was previously in sci-fi or previously in fiction, they're like, I can't find it, and I get to go like, look, here it is, you know, and they're (laughs) like, oh my god, you know, it's great, it's a beautiful moment. Um, But the horror section is really cool, especially with us, like, adding all of these new sections because of how much it crosses different genre boundaries, Mm -hmm. like, there's always a conversation to be had about what falls into the category of horror Mm -hmm. and like why we keep something somewhere else. Um, And I think that's interesting too with what Emily mentioned about the retellings because I feel like so many of us had this moment as children where we were fed these, not fed, told these really beautiful, lovely fairy tale stories that had been sanitized for books and then you learn about the original (laughs) real ones and you're like, what the fuck? I got my daughter the original Grimm's collection that we have. I was like, just so you know, this is not Disney. I have an original, like an old, old um, Grimm's fairy tale because my last name is Grimm. But and that is some fucked up stuff. Yeah, I mean, and I think it it, is horror. It's this is what it is. A lot of it. It inspired so many people to be like. First of all, like, let's look at the gap between, like, the stories that we're telling kids now and, like, the original stories. But also they're like, oh, yeah, the real thing, like, is terrifying. Um, Why do you enjoy reading things that are... I don't go to scary movies because I'm like, I want to I torture my soul. Um, What do you enjoy about reading horror? Like, what are... Are there tropes? Like, is there a vibe that you're really looking for? Like, what feeling are you looking for in a horror book? I find horror novels can be really illuminating about something. Like, I think they're a really ripe place for commentary Mm -hmm. um, because you take something that this is my favorite kind of horror, I guess. You take something that is true and then oftentimes you just take it like, one step further and Mm -hmm. you get this really gruesome world or you take the things that are happening all around us Mm -hmm. but that we kind of cover up and don't look at and Mm -hmm. you make it impossible to look away right and I think that's really fantastic um 
I also think they can be so fun um, when they fall into some tropes like T. Kingfisher, right? T. Kingfisher writes retellings, um, writes horror, but it's just so fun because it feels so fresh and it feels like people get the chance to play around and really put their own spin on these stories that we're telling again and again. There's a lot of crossover with the horror and the retellings. I have so a question about that, actually. Yesterday, I was looking at the horror section and I saw What Moves the Dead, T. Kingfisher book. You guys have to have a fight. Yeah. Uh, not a fight. I just wanted your opinion. Where should it go? Where should it go? I thought about that, too. I mean, listen, I want to keep it in the horror section, but the boundaries are hard. Do we have the, the retelling section horror facing each other, though? Yes. They are. So, they're friends. Yeah, they're friends. Yeah, <laughs> so that's okay. We should build an arch over the shelves <gasps> that says, we are friends. It could be like a gradient. Actually, we have some books stacked on it, and we're like, I don't know. You vote. Where does this fall? It's uh, like picking grapes off the vine. They're just dangling there yeah. somewhere in between the netherworld. Yeah. Did you? Oh, no. The question was about what moves the dead. Yeah. yeah. But what were you going to ask? I don't know. I'm just thinking about how much I love the cover art for that. That's and so, so it's like cover. Fisher has great yeah. cover art. And not just the cover. Like, if you look at the end pages, they're made with such love. Mm-hmm. So um, Thornhedge and Nettle and Bone hardback editions both have these illustrations I love end pages yeah. that are special. Picture books get them so good. But um, what are, in addition to T. King Fisher, what are some of your favorite titles right now in the horror section? And who are some of your favorite authors writing horror? Okay, this is a, a big question. Yes. Um, so Carmen Maria Machado is one of my favorite horror writers ever. Um, and she's going to be moving into short stories, which is... Oh my gosh, a bridge to our next conversation. And I just love her because this gets into the retellings thing, too, um, because her first short story in that collection, Her Body and Other Parties, is a retelling of the green ribbon from Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Oh my God. Yeah. and I'm going to have to read it now. We have, though, the green ribbon... Mm In the kids' early reader section, guys, if you if we want to connect this, we're putting a display together. This book is this book. Oh my god, I'm so excited! That's yeah. so exciting. The Green Ribbon Story. That was the most like maybe that's what got me into horror when I was a kid. It was so traumatic to read that. Like it lifted my head. And the Rachel put it in the show notes. The man's name was Alfred, and here in town we have a place called Alfred's Carpet and Decorating. Yeah. And my dad, I remember being in his truck, and we would drive by it, and I'd be like, it's him. It's the man. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so then reading that, uh, what was it called? I can't remember the name of the actual short story in Carmen Maria Machado's collection. Okay. Um, But reading that, I was like, this is everything these are all the questions I had. Just <laughs> That's so cool. Well, scary stories to tell in the dark was like a, a prominent part of my childhood, as was the Nickelodeon um, show. Are you afraid of the dark? Yeah. Do you remember that show? Yeah. Yeah, totally. That show was messed up. I can't really remember. <laughs> I remember the title, but I don't remember the experience. I probably blacked it out. Yeah, it had like a great theme song. Actually, Holden really got into it for a while last year and he called it Scaries. Hey, mom, can we watch Scaries? <laughs> <laughs> so cool. Um, um, who oh, else do you love yeah. in horror or titles that we have right now? Mm, okay. So people that I love, I, I like to fall on kind of the Gothic side of things mm-hmm. a lot. Um, so Sylvia Moreno Garcia, she is a very cross genre writer. Oh, we yeah. have her in all the sections. I think we put her in historical fiction too, which we'll be talking more about. Yeah. Velvet she, was the night. Yeah. Right? Yep. Yeah. 
Yes. Anyway, keep going. I know Ellen's a big fan of that one. Um, but yeah, so Mexican Gothic. And then she just released Silver Nitrate, which I thought was fabulous. Um, and then, forgive me, I'm going to say this wrong. P. Jelly Clark? D-J-E-L-I. Um, anyways, he wrote Ring Shout, which is just... A- Ooh, that cover! Yes, it's... Ring Shout, guys. About, you know, it's about racism and it's about the KKK and, like, fighting back and also, like... The occult nature, which really dovetails with silver nitrate and cults and racists and Nazis and all of that stuff. And it places it in the context of horror, which it is, um, and just gives you this really good lens to look at it through, like, the characters who are fighting back against that and who are trying to survive with those entities um, in those stories. Yeah. So exciting. Thank you for being an expert on horror and for giving that section to our readers. I love when someone discovers it and they're, I can, I can see them just standing there exploring the titles. We had someone, I I sold a book to a guy last night who was, um, he bought three horror books. One of them was what moves the dead. Um, but he was complimenting our horror section. So thank you. We are, we're doing something special all because of you. But you did connect to the New Bailey section. So first we made horror because you liked horror. And we contemplated um, what to do with short stories. Because we, when we order, we feel that our short stories have been getting lost in fiction and in their section. Some of them do very well. But when we were looking at some of the best-selling short story collections that are out there, you you said it so well. You were like, oh my gosh, these are like many of our staff favorites. So tell us about some of the titles that caught your attention when we were contemplating creating um, a short story collection around them. We already had in the store, in you know bookstore language, we had shelf talkers already for like half dozen of some. We just of, yeah, we just hadn't pulled them out and given them their own place. Right, so right. someone coming in looking specifically for short stories would have a hard time Finding, finding them. And our staff would have a hard time finding them unless you were the person who'd enjoyed the short story. So tell me about what you enjoy about short stories, some of the favorites in that section, um, why you think they're valuable. Yeah, I think short stories are really exciting and just they have to be such a tight story, right? Yeah. Like a good short story is such a fantastic piece of writing and they can do that. They can stick with you in such a strong way, like the green ribbon, you know? And I think a lot of the narratives that just live in my head rent free forever were random disturbing short stories that I got assigned like in school or something mm-hmm. that I never would have looked at or mm-hmm. picked up. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, because the writing has to be so good that you get to know the characters, you get to know the events, and you get to know the setting, like, all at once. And that takes such attention to craft. Um, it's just so skillful. Um, and so some of the ones that I really like, so I mentioned Her Body and Other Parties, which is just fabulous. Go buy it. You want to read it. I promise. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, so we have, I don't know if we're doing anthologies also in short story We'll do what you want. Okay. Um I think that, so like we have an Ursula K. Le Guin anthology, The oh, Real yes. and the Unreal. Um, mm-hmm. That one's really wonderful just because I'm obsessed with Ursula K. Le Guin. We should get in The Wind's Four Quarters. Um, Do it. That's a lesser known title of hers. Um, 
And then things like Brandon Taylor's Filthy Animals. It's living in the fiction section right now and can move over. I moved um, it yesterday. Yay. She got your back. I got uh, your back. Night of the Living Res. Has that been moved? It has. Yes. Okay, great. Um, Life Ceremony by Sayaka Murata, I think. Um, Ava brought that in originally. I think that book is so interesting because um, you can do so many weird things with that. And also, um, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, um, 19 Claws and a Blackbird by Augustina. Yeah, we moved Best- it. Terica? I do my best. Love that cover. It's so cool. It's so cool. I'm like three quarters of the way through it right now. And I've already made my partner read like three of them. And I'm like, what do you think yeah. of this? What is happening? I love short stories for that reason. And I don't crave, I, I like to be lost in a book. I like to dive in and have it take me away and keep returning to it until it's finished. But I forget the joy of having a short story collection or a poetry collection or an essay collection where you get so much, as you said, so much is happening in such a tight space where it it gives you everything. It's like a really amazingly perfectly composed dish that you just sit and eat and then you get to come back the next night for dinner again. And um, I think especially for people who feel like life is just taken over. Um, short story collections are a really great way to get something really special um, in small doses and that you can keep coming back to. It can sit on your bedside table and you can come back and read the next one when you have 30 minutes of time. That's I recommend short story collections as something really accessible because sometimes I take for granted that I can sit down and read a book for four hours at a time. Like my mm-hmm. brain lets me do that, mm-hmm. right? Not every has that luxury, you know? Mm -hmm. And so short story collections are great because you're getting great literature, Mm -hmm. you're getting great writing, and you don't feel bad because you can't stare at a book for three hours at a time. Right, right. And you you can, like, finish the whole thing. And short short stories are, I think, a very challenge, are probably almost more challenging, possibly more challenging than novels for a writer, I would assume, because you have to, like, tighten it up in such a short amount of space. You're telling a whole story in a short amount of space. I think they're particularly suited to a certain kind of fun, though. Right. Like, certain conceits can't be stretched out a whole book. Like, I'm thinking of, um, there's a short story collection that they call a revenge comedy short story collection <laughs> okay, cool. by Amber Sparks, and it's called um, And I Do Not Forgive You. But there's a story in it called In Which Athena Designs a Video Game with the Express Purpose of Trolling Her Father. Oh, my God. I need this. <laughs> order a- it in for me, please. Special <laughs> okay, order. Your book selling duty today. <laughs> all right. I will. Thank um, you. It's, it's not a very long story at all, but it's so fun and there's a lot to unpack there. And you couldn't do that for a whole book, but you don't need to because you can already think about so much in just that one scene of oh, Athena God. being like, please play this game. You need to learn. You know? <laughs> so. That's so funny. Um, Amanda, did you ever read, you are a Roald Dahl fan. Oh, and I yes. used to teach this short story. Um, actually, whether I taught high school or middle school, mm-hmm. that lamb to the slaughter. I didn't. Do you know what it's about? Tell us. <laughs> Have you read lamb to the slaughter, Bailey? Oh. Is this his adult one? writing? Yes. Okay. Yeah. This, this one, this woman murders her husband with a frozen yes. turkey leg. And then she feeds it to the cops who come to the house to interview her. Do you want to order it in for short stories? I don't know. I would have to figure out what kind of collection it's in. Uh-huh. But um, yes, it was. 
I, I always did that one. And then I did one called, it was called The Click Clack by Neil Gaiman, which like mm. creeped the fuck out of kids. I would always read it at Halloween mm. <laughs> with like a flashlight. <laughs> it's under, so great. Under the chin. <laughs> I, the lights off. Just a quick segue back like to horror and the stories we tell kids. Thank God for Roald Dahl. I always offer that up as like, we love writing heartwarming, beautiful books for children, but we need some roll doll too. He's like, like over here whacking people with turkey, frozen turkey legs. Yeah. Like, what up? Who cares? Yeah. Shit happens. Shit. You, sometimes you murder your adults. annoying ass husband with a turkey leg. Yeah. Sometimes that happens. Yeah. It's more realistic. <laughs> like children need a more realistic view of the world. Sometimes you feed the and detective they, a delicious dinner. Exactly. You need to know how to get away with murdering. There's one by um, Sandra Cisneros, and I'm try- I can't remember what it's called, but it has to do with like your every age you've ever been before. Yeah. Do you know which one I'm talking about? That. That's such a good story. Yes. I need to find out what that one was called. I want to just plug this one to anybody because it's another one of those ones that traumatized me a little bit. Um, It's called How Far She Went by Mary Hood. I don't know what collection it's in. It's like out of print. But if you look it up on your computer, you can find like a PDF of it in Google Images. And it's about this grandma who doesn't like her granddaughter who's come to stay with her. But then her granddaughter like gets into trouble and there's this biker gang following them. Um, and she also has her dog with her, her loud dog, and read the story, but it's hard. So I that's all. I love okay, you. Okay. What's okay. it called again? How Far She Went. How Far She Went. Okay. Google image search yeah, for the out there. of print short story horror slash craziness. Yeah. I need okay. to, I could, I think I should return to short story. It's not, uh, again, it's not a genre I tend to like gravitate toward, but I've read some really excellent short stories. So I should probably dabble again i have a question about the short story section mm-hmm. i'm wondering if you are going to house novels in stories or short story cycles there are things like love medicine by louise erdrich which is technically short stories so i i have thought about that because i uh one of my favorite books that i read last year was mm-hmm. how high we go in the dark mm-hmm. and that is a novel in stories so i don't know i think that is a that is open for discussion oh similar to fiona and jane Cause right, because you would actually, you and I, Fiona yeah. and Jane, I asked you about that yesterday. It's a, it's a novel in stories. It's the same people over time, but their life's told in short stories. I vote no. Yeah, no. <laughs> me, I like, that's not a short story collection. Well, because you're, you're, you're looking at it over one. the arc of all of those stories combined. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like so uh, Elderly Lady is Up to No Good. That is considered a short story collection mm-hmm. in that it's many little vignettes about one woman killing people to solve her problems. But it, to me, it's one narrative told in like scenes. There are some interesting books that I would like to bring in that are like 80 pages um, that are so good, but are really hard to sell when they're like tucked in between other books. Fine. You know what we could do? We'll do it for you, Bailey. We could could call that section short stories and novellas. Yeah, I do. Okay, what if what if we have an end cap called "Books for Busy People" and it's just the really short ones? I like that. It could be a subtitle. You know, Amanda was one time going to do for busy people. (laughs) Amanda was one time going to do a book club over the lunch hour called the Quickie Club. Yeah, (laughs) no, for real. It was going to be books under two hundred pages. Yeah, and you meet for a half hour over lunch. But what I discovered, my motivation for doing it was uh, people who feel like they don't have time to read. And so I wanted to give them little short stories. 
But one of the things I realized as I started like thinking about curation for the book club was a lot of the shortest stories are the most WTF stories. So it the crossover between trying to help people read short stories that are accessible for their life. These are people who are not necessarily incorporating reading into their everyday life. Feeding them what the fuck <laughs> stories was probably not the perfect match. That's a good point. Yeah, because almost every single one I but picked we're up, all, I was like, I love this book. You know, but we're all a little fucked w- up, though. Yeah. We're all a little fucked I up. I bet we could revamp this idea with... A fucked up quickie club. Or... or yeah! <laughs> but we could find some that aren't that fucked up. Like, um, Sayaka Murata, a lot of things by her are very messed up. But Convenience Store Woman is not. It kind of is. Nah, uh, it kind of is. How? It kind of is. Vote it's in the like, comments. Is Convenience Store Woman fucked okay. up? Okay. Someone who does not identify as a yeah, reader wants to reincorporate reading into their life, but they don't identify as a reader, and then they read Convenience Store Woman. You know what they're going to be like? What are you kidding? It's like the beauty. I know you're of a, a reader life. and it's a like writer. She loves the convenience store. Emily, we're also readers of the weird, and yeah. so I think you that are our standard. Like I'll read what I feel like is a very normal novel, <laughs> and then somebody else will be like gut-wrenchingly strange. Yeah. You know? And I'm like, what? And you're like, wait. <laughs> wait, okay. I was like, how? She owns a naked, two naked cats. Yeah. Is that what, what do you call them? I, naked cats? They're Sphinx, but yeah, they're naked. Naked cats. So that's her normal. I was, In the cat world, her, her normal looks a little different. That's fair. That's fair. I don't know. I just, you were mentioning blurbs, like gut-wrenchingly strange. I feel like we need to have a podcast episode about blurbs we feel do not do justice to the book. Amen. Because Amen. Con- convenience store woman is constantly like so quirky it, hilarious it's not hilarious it's sort of it's really dryly hilarious yeah That's where she's just like I, I don't know. need this man like why did I do this yeah well, I loved that part well, we, of the story Bailey we were talking about the it's not really the well I guess it was a blurb or a description for the vaster wild somewhere like that's not what that book is it's so someone reads that they're gonna like well, That's not what they're getting. It's just no. so weird because, like, the word quirky, I've started to feel like they're just trying to say foreign and strange. It's mm. like, yeah, let's eliminate quirky from. It's like a little fucked up or delightfully fucked up. Yeah, or just like fresh is a great word. Fresh is a good word. Yeah, I new, don't know. original. You probably haven't read a book like this before. Enjoy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> looks at life from a different perspective. There are lots. That's of better. Things, mm-hmm. But quirky to me is just sort of like. Um, Almost condescending. It is. That, it I, is. I've never thought of that, but that's a good point. It's kind of a cutesy word. It's like so weird. Look at them go. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes it works. But in that particular case, I'm just like, it's not that the book isn't quirky, but if that's like the main word, if it's in two of the blurbs yeah, on the back, I hear I'm you. just like, mm. I hear you. I don't know what words sell me on books, but I also have ones where I just I don't actually give a shit about what they say. I do pay attention if it's an author I really love blurbing a book, then I'm more likely to pick it up. I'm going to circle back. Carmen Maria Machado blurbs so many books and I love her and I've never disliked a book that she's blurbed. Nice. So she reads a lot and she writes really well and she has high standards. She will not put her name on something you don't believe in. Yeah, I'm a super Or she fan. doesn't believe in. Yeah. Okay. I don't I don't remember who blurbed this book, but last night I was someone was talking about a book and I was like, Oh, are you talking about Beautiful Ruins? I love Beautiful Ruins. It's mm-hmm. been out a long time. And I remember when I picked up Beautiful Ruins, it was at the library. Mm-hmm. And 
it was like in a book club display or something mm. like that. And the cover seemed very like not, not something that I would enjoy, mm-hmm. but I picked it up and I was and I read the blurbs and they were from people that I was like, oh, this is probably really good. And I can't even remember who it was, but the whole reason I picked that book up was because of who was blurbing it. Mm-hmm. And it's one of my favorite books. I think this you've led us to the perfect segue. OK, cool. Guess where Beautiful Ruins lives now? Is it in romance? No. It is a romance. <laughs> it's historical fiction. It was in historical fiction? It is historical fiction really? by Jess Walter. Oh my God, you guys, you have to leave, read Beautiful Ruins. Okay. It's so good. Do you guys have any commentary on historical fiction? If not, I want to free you for your days. If you want to stay for historical fiction conversation, you may, but I feel like I don't want to hold you captive. Do you have any? I want to hold you. I have a thought about historical fiction. Okay, so perfect segue. (laughs) Guess where your book, your favorite beautiful ruins lives now? It's a romance. It is historical fiction with a romance. It's true love. It's true love set in a historical. When I had when Mariah sent out some Google form about romance books, that's the one I chose. Good job, Um, guys. Have you read Beautiful Ruins? No. Oh my god read it it's so good it's beautiful so <laughs> to borrow a word from the title have you read the history of love because i'll do it yes i love oh! the history of love the history of love still in fiction the That's history okay. of love is actually one of the few books that i have read more than once because it's i've read it good. a few times yeah. i love the history of love um, by nicole kraus right it's, yes it's such a it was her greatest work to date it for a hundred percent yes I also think it's uncategorizable. It makes Mm-mm. sense it's in fiction. Mm-hmm. But to me, somehow, it is also magically, beautifully, a little bit historical fiction and even a little bit fantasy. It just has mm-hmm. that feel of like life being beautiful and large and... And connected. Yes. Um, and so she was, she's no longer married to him. But she was married to Jonathan Safran Forer, who wrote Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, which is also one of my all-time favorite novels. And I read those books pretty close to each other at the same time and I was like oh my god I want them to adopt me oh. <laughs> like these two amazing writers but apparently you didn't because their household might have not been the happiest it was, place it ended up being a broken home but that's okay I still love their books <laughs> I feel sad for and them I just they I wrote want, important deep I want them things. to be happy yeah I want them I to support be happy Jonathan too. and Nicole and fully. keep keep writing we're team both we're team both. But our bathroom door is, one of our bathroom doors is the first page. But it's a History loud of and Love incredibly close. is one of our stair risers. Yeah. So team both. Yeah, but you know, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close could be considered historical fiction because Ugh. it is. It's the moment history change. It is a 9-11 book. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Although I would argue it is not about 9-11. It's about a boy whose father dies in 9-11. Mm-hmm. But it's the book does not center yeah. around the father's death. It's yeah. the aftermath of mm-hmm. what that child is dealing with. Rachel has a comment. What's your historical fiction time range? It is not a time range. It's bisect. Bye vibes. <laughs> so we we um, there is a system. We came the we came after hours, and I left at ten thirty, and Amanda left at like one in the fucking morning the other night. Looking, we and we were looking. We looked at every at historical title. fiction. We looked basically at every title in, in fiction. fiction. And there were some that were clearly historical fiction. Mm-hmm. And then there were some like we weren't really sure. So then we would like look up the bisac. We might read a little bit about the book if we didn't know what it was. Rachel um, can put the definition of bisac in the show notes. But bisac is 
a system of tags associated with a title that we bring in. Um, and it helps bookstores and libraries and all other places figure out what a book is. So oftentimes the first tag on a BISAC line would be that this book is fiction or nonfiction. And then after fiction, it might say something like literary, or it might say fantasy, or it might say paranormal, or it might say historical. So when we know a book has taken place at some point in the past or involves the past in addition to the present or the near present, um, we turn to the BISAC information to see how the writer, the publisher is pitching the book. So we have a few books that are in fiction that involve the past, but the BISAC information is not telling us that this is primarily about an Ellen, the events of history. Right. I mean, I think of historical fiction as being sort of revolving around pivotal moments in history, mm-hmm. although that's not always the case. But, you know, like we were talking about earlier, there's crossover, right? Like, yeah. it's hard to know. Like, we put things in sections so that people can find what they're looking for. But there are most books, I think, could live in more than one section. And mm-hmm. so we just do the best we can. And the reason why we decided to dabble in this experiment of giving an entire bookcase to historical fiction was because... The most commonly requested, can you help me find question that we get in the store from a customer is, do you have a historical fiction section? We had had an uh, NCAP display that featured 12 to 16 um, historical fiction titles to try and help these customers find what they're looking for. But as time went on, we felt like if romance readers deserve an easy shopping experience in romance and fantasy readers deserve an easy shopping experience where they go to look for fantasy or sci-fi or mystery thriller, we could also serve this customer by creating a historical fiction section. Now, the one thing we worked really hard to do was to honor the entire genre of historical like fiction. historical fiction is not just World War II fiction. That's yeah. not. It's the very only popular, and that's fine. That and, and and there are some excellent books in that about World War II. But when we talk about historical fiction, we also want to show that historical fiction it comes from all over like the world, not just uh, Western. <laughs> so would Margaret George fit in historical fiction? She's one of my favorite authors. I don't know if we want to bring her in because her books are. Chonkers. I don't mind a chonker. You okay, can bring I mean, her in. Like, actually, I've heard you talk about her before. So I, yeah, I love her. And she does. Um, like the first book I read by her is called Memoirs of Cleopatra, and it's a fictional mm. autobiography from Cleopatra. Just te- she's telling you her life story. You love her- Cleopatra. I do. And you need to dress up as Cleopatra for Halloween. Well, no, we don't. <laughs> she doesn't want to do I, that. I think it would be I, like, a beautiful look, but I don't know if I'm the right person for it. The thing about <laughs> Memoirs of Cleopatra is that from the first page, it is so intimate and poetic. And it just, the feeling of rocking in water on a boat is exactly how it feels to read that first page. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just beautiful. So I'm wondering if that would go yes. in circle fiction. Bring yeah, it in. probably. Yeah. Throw it in. Because uh, like we're... It's interesting because historical fiction comes from all over the world, from mm-hmm. all different time periods in history. Uh, so we also wanted to show that historical fiction is not just limited to this like back very of a woman's head, points. five bombers in the sky, <laughs> exactly Eiffel Tower, 
orphans, daughters, sisters, wives. I I do want to know where is all the light we cannot see. It is in historical fiction. That's a relief. I was I was ready to beef about that. (laughs) It's in historical fiction. So um, is that what you really wanted to talk about in historical fiction? What else do you have to say? I was. We've talked about it, but it's just cool because it's, you know, yeah. like all of our other little sections where they're so cross genre and yeah. having that conversation where you're not like whittling historical fiction down to back of women's planes. Mm-hmm. Eiffel Tower. No hate. If you love. Yeah. I mean, if you're into that, do that. That's great. That for it's you. not all there is. Um, I read a lot of fantasy romance and those are all the same. Um, love them. But yeah, it's just like it is such a broad swath of books and yeah so someone uh, there's a couple you know we have the classics uh or like maybe um the most you know very popular world war ii fiction thrown in there but one of my favorite authors of all time and i don't necessarily think of myself as a historical fiction genre reader is amor tolls all three of his books rules of civility Gentleman in Moscow and the Lincoln Highway now live in historical fiction. Colson White, Whitehead is there too. Yeah. Also a wonderful uh-huh. author. Right. What, what about books like Pachinko by Min Jin Lee and Homegoing by Yagyazi? Okay. So we actually, uh, Pachinko was one that we had a discussion about. Yeah. Pachinko mm-hmm. in the Bisac is actually not listed as historical. Right. And we chose to keep it, keep it in fiction. I've read Pachinko. I love Pachinko. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because it extends to the present and much mm-hmm. of it is through the lens of the present. There's quite a lot. But I think you could present. put it in historical and it could you know legit live there too well right. i think it, it's both of those books homegoing and pachinko do this thing where they're looking at how a circumstance evolved over time right and homegoing it's slavery and then in pachinko it's the experience of korean immigrants to japan yep mm-hmm. and it's necessary to look at that situation mm-hmm. unfolding in different decades to truly understand how it happened. Right. But I think a lot of historical fiction, the allure is getting to live in that different time period for a right. long time. Right. right. I, and I did notice that a lot of those more like generational sagas that extend past the, the events that maybe the story originated were not classified as historical. Um but I think you could make a good argument to put them there. Yeah, or an um, end cap for generational saga. So what we did is yeah. we went through, we kind of pulled all the things, and then we're like, how much space saga. do we have? Yeah, you do. Um, but, you know, a, a word about sections, because um, historical, sometimes uh, there's this idea that genres are like not real literature or something, and that that's stupid. Like there is amazing literature that exists across genres, there are excellent writers existing across genres. So when you put something in historical fiction or romance or fantasy, sci-fi, mystery, thriller, you're not like saying this isn't like, these aren't like real books. These aren't literary. You're showing that they're a part of this genre, which we should celebrate. But sometimes I feel like genre literature gets a little bit of like a bad rep. Like, Interestingly. Like it's less than, and, and that is not our approach at all, no. which was why when we were, kind of filling out this historical section we were like we really want to make sure that um like so you you roll up on someone like colson whitehead who wins a pulitzer prize for every fucking fiction book he writes and you're like you know would someone you know be like oh he's he shouldn't be historical fiction he's fiction well actually no his his historical fiction and that's a good thing like right. uh um, james and bride also 
is historical fiction. Right, yeah. One of the best books of the year, um, The Heaven and Earth Grocery Store, also D. King, King Kong, major staff favorite. They both live in historical fiction now. Um, I was just going to say, as a staff, we're all reading The Art of Libromancy. And which is, is the art of book selling. The art of book selling. Um, the we're book is not necessarily to get geared, your money. <laughs> it's not necessarily geared toward booksellers. It is toward the general reader. It is useful for booksellers, but it provided this historical note on the Iowa Writers Workshop, which is seen across the world as, first of all, the first MFA program ever. And two, like it's still the worldwide standard for the best creative writers, writing. creative writing program. They did not accept genre writers. I think that is no longer a standard, but genre writers were not accepted. Well, actually, if you, I don't know about that because if you think about, um, and they are cranking out excellent mm-hmm. writers. I mean, mm-hmm. all the t- constantly. Mm-hmm. But if you think about the people who are coming out of that program and finding success, I would not call them genre writers, mm-hmm. most of them. To add a little bit of context, Iowa City just added a nonfiction program. And yes. that, that is not part of the Iowa Writers Workshop. I know it's, it's so Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, it's you know, they're probably, they're I saw pro- the building. They're it was probably beautiful. super protective of that program and afraid to change it up. But. I mean, so many people have mimicked the Iowa Writers Workshop model in their creative writing programs. And so it's hard to let go of things that you think have led to success. Other favorites in historical fiction that we moved over, someone we both agree on is Kristen Hanna. We enjoy her writing. She is a new one coming out and we we haven't assigned it yet. It's going to be set in the time of the Vietnam War. Um, Does anyone remember what the title is? The Women, right? The Women. I think that it's called is, The Women. That is a straightforward. It's not the daughter of. It's not the sister of. It's not the wife. It is the women. Yep. And so she, um, she's she got some in historical fiction. Um, Marie Benedict, Kate Quinn. These are all people who Kate are living Quinn over there now. Kate Quinn is definitely a genre favorite. Marie Benedict is one of my favorites. I've read at least three of hers. The other, Einstein, was the story of Albert Einstein's first wife. And I loved it. It was like... Yeah, he might have been smart, but it was probably his wife. (laughs) I loved it. It was so great. I will never think of Albert Einstein again in the same way. Um, I believe one is called Lady Clementine about Winston Churchill's wife. It was like, you know what? These poor men, they really need someone to like shepherd them. (laughs) It's so hard for them. I know. they They do all the work. Sure, there might be some leadership skills or whatever but they're really you know it's it's about the women who really created history i love her her and ds yes trust was a wonderful book yeah staff favorite pulitzer prize winner yep um it lives in historical fiction yes and then lastly we have another section that i am most excited about and it's called you can't read these in school yeah and it's uh, books about books that have uh, been banned across the country, but more specifically in Iowa amidst the new legislation. So, so you want to take them out of schools? We're going to give them a showcase in the store all the time. We always have, um, but we're making it bigger and better because that's what you got to do. Yeah. This section's really cool. I think I was talking to Tom V about it the other day, and she said that. 
a lot of people when we talk about book bannings really focus on the books themselves. But another important thing to think about is the communities that are yep. being targeted through the book ban. Yep. So when you look at this shelf, it's a really easy way to just in one glance kind of get a summary of who is being targeted. And Queer then, and people in color. Exactly. Of, of color. Yeah, yeah. And when you read these books, you can understand that situation better and then maybe do like do something about it. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's and there cool. and we have um, you know our postcards there uh, in that section where you can write um, a postcard to our governor or a legis- uh, legislator and we will um mail, or your local stamp that and mail board. that for you yeah, yeah. any you, anyone who you think needs to hear that message are you telling me you not only did the band book section but put the method of action right there beside sure it sure did emily easy peasy lemon squeezy easy peasy is that called teen it up boom <laughs> boom 250 yards and listen you know the law makes right. it difficult it makes it really difficult for schools um but we can be a voice of reason here and we can provide access uh and all opportunities to push back because we should push back we shouldn't just be like oh it's the law now and we accept this like so here's um another option too not only do we need to tell our legislators that this is ridiculous and you're making us a laughing stock in the world and you're hurting people and you're damaging lives and you're causing harm, but you can also write letters of support to your teachers and librarians to tell them how important they are yep. and how much you value the work they do and, and that to, you see their struggle. And to lawmakers who are fighting the good fight because yeah. we have a lot of those. And those people, and you know, in the state of Iowa, they're in the minority. And so they need letters of encouragement too. Thank right. you for taking on this issue. Thank you for speaking up. Like, I really appreciate it. I learn a lot from dog training and it's, you have to praise the good, ignore the bad, but also. I'm not the ignoring bad. the bad. Yeah, shame the bad. Do, the, do both. Do both. Do both. So give those little nudges of encouragement to the people because it is hard to show up and do that work every single day to keep fighting something that feels like a landslide we have to keep pushing yep um and just one more little note for katie our romance reader i will just say that we expanded our romance section um this is a genre that has immense enthusiasm and support so much so that our new subscription um, is Love Unleash, launching in November to give our insatiable romance readers exactly what they want. But we figured if fantasy and sci-fi get three shell or bookcases, then we should give romance three bookcases as well. So yep. they get their they get one more shelf of love and steaminess and spiciness. So we have had some um, some questions when we posted about our new sectioning. Um, we had some comments about uh, why don't you have a queer section or this section or whatever um, that center around identities. And this is actually a conversation Amanda and I have been having since before we opened the store. Um, and ultimately, where we've always kind of landed is that there is such an othering that is happening and we want to, we have a ton of queer literature in our store. We have a ton um, of books by and about people of color. And that has always been a tremendously important part of our curation. And 
all of those things we filter into the sections where we think they belong because we feel that if we pull them out, it might be othering them. Guess what? Queer fiction belongs in fiction. Queer romance belongs in romance. Mm -hmm. Like these are all normal stories and normal human experiences. Um, and so we, we are open to the conversation, but please know that we have thought about that. Um, we've always thought about that and considered the pros and cons of pulling those out or keeping them in. Correct. And we do regularly uh, provide opportunity to feature um, books by certain identities written by or representing certain identities, whether it's our window display or end cap displays or special monthly yeah. displays. And and all of our booksellers um, make are, are intentional about uh, reading diversely. And so many of the books that we feature in our store um, are inclusive representative books. Um, but uh, the main reason why we have not um, for example, establish a queer literature section is not because we don't think queer literature is important. Um, we think it's super critical, especially right now, but because we want um, the goal, right, would be for queerness to be seen by everyone. It's just a, it, it, normal and lovely and like, you know, not separate, not separate. And so uh, that that's the reasoning. All right. Ellen, what's uh, new and hardcover, we have The Fragile Threads of Power by V.E. Schwab. I'm looking at you, Donald Trump. So this is <laughs> a new um, book in the series Shades of Magic. So if you read V.E. Schwab at, at all, you know that she's a prolific writer. She's a number of series out there. So check this one out. I'm so excited <laughs> to talk about this new release, The Land of Milk and Honey by C. Pam Zhang. This was a serious contender for our subscription, but I erred on the side of just featuring it in the store because it's a little bit, what the fuck? Um, this is a story, and this is one of the many reasons I love the book, that originates in Iowa. What? <laughs> I know, it is like a one sentence reference. Okay, that's a whole Iowa. So a train derails, and whatever that train was cut carrying, creates a smog uh you know it's a chemical explosion okay. that covers the world if from uh, one train one train that's fucked up so the smog that originates from this train derailment coats the world crops fail produce or you know um animal you know, we don't have cats anymore. We don't have chickens. Nothing can live. And it's the story. What organic material is Emily going to sacrifice I don't in know. this situation? I really don't. And that is the quandary because <laughs> the story is told from the perspective of an aspiring chef in Europe who had studied under anyone she could in London, in France, she had worked in every kitchen to learn her trade and had Im immense talent and immense taste. But now she's working on, I don't know, serving bugs or whatever weird shit they can garner together 
to feed people. Um, and she's also examining the culture of privilege. Who still has access to the remaining canned peaches? Who still has access to the truffles in some vault somewhere? And so um, she gets hired on by the wealthiest of the wealthiest who are living in the region between France and Switzerland in the highest of the Alps where the clouds have, you know, they're above the cloud level. They're above the smog level and they have this vault of the last remaining good food. And she's hired on as the private chef to create these indulgent meals to sway great investors or the powerful of the world. And so it's about what she's willing to compromise in pursuit of um, her craft as a chef. It is so good. Okay. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. Sounds so good. Highly recommend uh, by Amanda. In paperback, um, Cormac McCarthy's duo, The Passenger and Stella Morris, are now uh, available. And the last he ever published. Yeah. So I have not read these yet, but I want to read it because I think Cormac McCarthy was um, an amazing writer. Chad, one of our booksellers who doesn't read a lot of fiction, was waxing poetic about Blood Meridian. He told me I need to read it. a good friend, their favorite book is The Road. All the Pretty Horses is these, so good. These are are dark books. Um, they are haunting. They and are they're about, very like stripped down. His prose is very stripped down. Right. So if you would like to read the last works of Cormac McCarthy, you can pick up the duo um, that relate to one another, The Passenger and Stella Maris in paperback now. Um, also out in paperback, you guys, you're about to have an avalanche, an uh, avalanche, an avalanche of holiday romances. Because it's October, you guys, we you all are know this be is a phenomenon. Burned with the steamy lava of holiday romance avalanche. Okay. Listen to these titles all coming in one week, guys. One week. So if you want to feel the holidays off, in October, you got the Christmas Orphans Club. By Becca Freeman. This is the one that most That doesn't sound me. romantic, but okay. No, it is. It's like all the sweet people who can't go home for the holidays and they celebrate together. Oh, uh, okay. I was, I was having a little Charles Dickens moment. They're not Dickens like moment. little poor Charles Dickens orphans <laughs> who can't feed themselves. These are poor privileged people who can't go home. <laughs> These are poor privileged people. Okay, so the Christmas Orphans Clubs. <laughs> a December to Remember by Jenna, Jenny Bayless. Love, comma, Holly by Emily Stone. The comma is not spelled out. It is a grammatical. It is just there. Yeah. Well, would it be dog-eared books if we didn't say the, you know. The hyphen, hyphen whatever. What are those? What are those things called? Hyphens. Well, no, no, like, like they're, the, they're place the and grammar. The... They're like the things. They're like the road construction of words. Punctuation? Punctuation! Punctuation! The punctuation. What the fuck? Okay. Okay. The Xmas holidays, as in your ex. Oh, God. Xmas, not X as in Christ. I like but this. But your ex. I like this next one. Yeah. Wrapped with a bow. B E A U. Oh, man. Yeah. I want to That's be wrapped by with Lily Bale. So that's exciting. And kids were continuing. 
the Percy Jackson series. This is a kind of a big event. Rick Riordan has a new edition in the Percy Jackson and the Olympian series. It's called The Chalice of the Gods. And it's hilarious because Percy Jackson has to go to college. They have to figure out how to send him to college. <laughs> I'm like, this is so perfect. I can't wait to get Dad, I really want to go to college, okay? Yeah. I know that you're Poseidon and you don't care, but I want I don't I want more than just C smarts. Yeah. I want real world smarts. Real world smarts. Did you ever watch the co- the sketch comedy group, The Whitest Kids You Know? No. Maybe. You've <laughs> okay. probably shown okay. me one There's of the this whole sketch where this um <laughs> this woman's like dating. This girl's dating a guy who lives under in the ocean and she takes him to meet her parents and he's like, I might not have street smarts, but I have sea smarts. <laughs> Yeah, poor Percy Jackson. Him at college that'd be so complicated. Or Poseidon only has sea smarts. Mm. Um, The Wild Robot Protects by Peter Brown is an expansion of the Wild Robot series. This is about climate change and pollution affecting an island. And I applaud Peter Brown for taking the Wild Robot series in this direction. So... Um, Roz is working to protect the animals that live on this beautiful island that is being threatened by climate change and pollution. Um, this series has been increasingly popular among our middle grade readers, so they'll be very excited for this expansion. And then in picture books, we have Something Someday by Amanda Gorman and Christian Robinson. Whoa. And, yeah. Nobel laureate poet and Christian Robinson my favorite working illustrator. Well, okay, he ties. He's in my top two. I think Christian Robinson and Sylvie Blackhole. So this will be something really special. And it's about how small acts of kindness can go a long way towards making the world a better place. Okay, look at that last one in children's books. The 30-year anniversary edition of Magic Eye. Did you do Magic Eye as a kid? Everybody did. Everybody did Magic Eye, but I bet Rachel hasn't. Yeah, because she's looking at us with a quizzical look. Because she's young. Emily, she's did you do so Magic Eye quizzical, ever? Do you know what Magic Eye is? They don't know what Magic Eye is. Rachel is quizzical. She don't know what Magic Eye is. That's a song that I wrote for you that's based Magic on the uh, Olivia Newton-John song. Is this weird? Is <laughs> making fun of Emily as well into that? I'm making fun no, of because Emily. Emily's half sweet. Half, You're not. Half, half our staff. Be loud now? <laughs> Love you, Rachel. Um, Love you, Ray Ray. Magic Eye. Ray Ray forever. Back to Magic Eye. We need you to look at this book and stare into the abyss and see if her eyes get messed up. Yeah. <laughs> I have a feeling That's that what the you need author, to do. Sherry Smith, liked mushrooms. Probably. That's your homework this weekend, Rachel and Emily. We only no, have look one at copy. it. Look at it on the computer. Look at Magic Eye and see what happens and what you learn about the world. Okay, what's popping at the store, Ellen? I'll tell you. <laughs> I... <laughs> I'll just sit here. (laughs) Story time at 10 a.m. 10 a.m. on Wednesday. This is like, I always think of the elf. I always think of elf. Um, Santa Claus is coming to town. But it's me and Lovey reading stories. And we're probably going to start to get into some Halloween books. Side note, question. Did Um, you purchase the Golden Retriever (laughs) Do you want me to? 
Uh, we we were just wondering if you actually no, did. No, I didn't. It was like, <laughs> it, was like, it, was like it was Target. She asked me. I was like, I don't know. It felt appropriate. I was like, I would put it past it. It was only like 100 something. Actually, it would be kind of fun. We just have to have people who'd be willing to wear it. I would wear like, it During anytime. holiday season, it'd yeah. be fun to have someone walking around. Yes, buy a subscription. What's popping in the store besides me reading stories at 10 a.m. with Lovey? Well, let's talk to Emily because she is hosting a very special event on Saturday, September 30th at 10 a.m. A back to school story time. Tell us about it. So on Saturday at 1030 a.m., which means you can stop by the farmer's market first or even after, um, we're going to have a special back to school story time that encourages children to make friends by teaching them kindness and compassion. The illustrator, Rahel Jean-Perbel, will read her new book, Give, and pass out some stickers. They're going to be really cute back-to-school lovey stickers that hopefully will have kids feeling a little bit excited about school again. And um, I think it's a really great way for any kids, maybe ages four to eight, to start thinking about and building social skills. And the book itself is just gorgeous and powerful and helps us think about how simple, simple acts of kindness can change the world. So don't miss it. Come meet her and show your support. It really, it really is a lovely book. The illustrations are top notch, like New York Times best illustrated level. Um, and then we have voter registration from 1130 to 130 on Saturday as well. It's incredibly important that we all participate. It's the it's very important. It's very to important. vote those fuckers out. Yeah. Amen. So unless they're cool, in which an, case you can keep them. Yeah. It's a nice, simple week for us at Dog Ear Books. It's fun to have this children's event, but it's important that it's simple because we're about ready to take off for the weekend. Um, Ellen, Amanda, and Rachel. Because if Rachel wasn't there, it didn't happen. She didn't document it. We didn't do it. We're going to New York. I've never been. So I am excited to go. Yeah. Rachel, neither Rachel nor Ellen have been to New York. We're going to stay with my sister, who is a painter. She lives in Brooklyn. And we are going to hit as many bookstores and as many cocktail bars as possible <laughs> because bubbles and books, guys. Um, so comment. Tell us what bookstore should we not miss and what cocktail bar should we not miss? And in the meantime, keep the champagne flowing and the books, books going. going. Remember, uh, subscribe, like, follow, because you want to find out what's happening in Dog Eared Books every single week. Yep. And if you don't live in Ames, you can always follow us on social or hit our website to order books. Follow us at, at Dog Eared Books Ames or at Dog Eared Books on TikTok. All right, listeners, keep the champagne flowing and the books going. This is so great. It's so great. <laughs>